Hey man, I've been thinking, and um, and uh, we gotta talk about it. Gotta do that now. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know, I know, and I know you don't want to, and I know I don't really want to either. But um, <sighs> Dave, Dave, and Metallica. Um, yeah, we, we gotta do it, man. It's that time, I guess. Yeah, it is. It's it's really unavoidable. Ah, <sighs> fuck. So far, so far, so far. So far, so far, so far, so far, so far, so far. Yeah, yeah, it kind of goes in line with what you posted about unavoiding it. Yeah, it's it's unavoidable, and honestly, just by the interaction of that post alone proves that people are just are still somehow not sick of hearing this yet. I just that's true. I don't understand. It's um, it, it, the territory is so well worn, but I, mean, I guess it's still what people want to talk about, you know. I told you on Messenger that uh, somehow, like uh, a, a discussion that is almost invalid becomes increasingly more valid when you know it's been on for four decades. Even though <laughs> yeah. it wasn't really a valid discussion in the beginning, something about it not ending says that apparently it's worth discussing. I don't know or impossible to not discuss something like that how many bands have that story like how many like a lot of a lot of people the story ends at like pete best for example pete like best, if, if, yeah. pete, if pete best if pete best had started <laughs> like if he had started the rolling stones or something like that or, or or the animals or some other band that was that was big obviously not equally as but if if there had been like there's no other story like that really in rock and roll usually you usually you you get killed and then you just never rise again and Mustaine's whole thing is like it really is like a phoenix rising from the ashes it's, it a, it's a great story but right, again so we, we kind of dove in from the topic side of things here so let's just be a, a tad bit formal and say hello to everybody and uh, welcome <laughs> to because <laughs> i'm gonna keep this so, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to the uh, state of the art transatlantic speed metal podcast. So far, so pod, so what? Uh, with me, Jonathan and Greg over here. You know the topic. We yeah. posted about it. We already talked about it. Uh, we um, we're living it now, I guess. And uh, like you say, mm-hmm. it's like an unending topic. I mean, most I guess most hard rock hard rock metal bands have also talked about this at some point. Like it's, Probably. it's, it's sort, of, sort of a myth. A legend of sorts in 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 the metal world but it's oh, recent yeah. it's recent so it's like in 200 years will this still be a topic <laughs> could be because metallica is pretty much the biggest band of the world in many yeah, ways yeah i think if i think it will be just because yeah like you said they're the biggest band they're the biggest band that's formed in our lifetime in our generation i think you know and most bands were formed in our generation yeah. i mean if you talk widely like uh, let's yeah. say our, our my father's generation or something he was born in 51 mm-hmm. and um i mean the beatles hadn't started yet he pretty much saw it all start yeah um, exactly it's actually a pretty killer year to be born 51 you know he was at least for my taste you know culturally because he was 1920 when the 70s hit you're old enough you're right in that sweet spot to to experience the beginning of a lot of things you know yeah right especially in the world of music i mean he was born before rock and roll yep pretty much i mean it's just in its infancy and 
coming from like a traditional home uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's, he ha- he lucked out that his father uh, allowed it to like uh, yeah his father actually helped him carry the hi-fi system home yeah and and yeah. other guys in his uh, what's the word for that congregation or uh, in the church thingy like a church oh group, no yeah yeah it's probably, uh, that's other member enough. other members of his congregation would see that as completely you know you, you couldn't even touch that shit, and he actually carried it home with his son. So it's I mean, ridiculous. that's probably the beginning of my rock and roll story. Was uh, uh, my grandfather not uh, reading too much into what he what he um, believed in in terms of like? Uh, I mean, it's silly when it goes out into not listening to music and shit. Right. That that's like way above and beyond. There's uh, there's some weird branches of Christianity up in the way north. I can tell you. Oh, you're not kidding. I can't speak to uh, the up north uh, by you, but I could definitely uh, correlate to what I've seen over here for sure. Yeah, exactly. And my grand- <laughs> grandparents' parents actually flew by propeller plane over to like Minnesota and stuff because they had some allies over in America with this, oh, yeah? this hard-ass branch of Christianity that, uh, well, uh, luckily I was never subject to. So Yeah, that's good. I would say yeah. that you're better for it. Yeah, <laughs> but, but what I was subject to was... Mega Dave. Mega Dave. <laughs> Mega Dave. And we talked about this topic before, how we're going to approach it. And actually, when I brought it up, I just wanted to talk about a few riffs, like riffs that mm-hmm. I think are important in not only in the songs they are found in, in Metallica, mm-hmm. but also just important to the way Metallica writes riffs. And that's James Hetfield, pretty much. Mm-hmm. But, but also, like in a sense, I can mention right now, Kirk's lead work on the first album is obviously very much parroting uh, Dave's style. You can hear it. Yeah, I think that you know he definitely takes off in his own direction on some of the solos, but yeah, a lot of, especially the, the coming into the leads, I mean, that's basically all Mustaine stuff. I always thought that spoke really, really well of of Hammett. That oh yes, yeah. you know well that's not both, really, not easy I... to do. It's it's way easier to learn someone else's riffs than it is to learn someone else's leads. Especially, well, I shouldn't say that's not across the board, but I mean, like in that style of music, when it's that frantic, you know, it's and considering he only, I mean, he was only in the band for what three, four weeks before they started recording Kill 'Em All. So I mean, yeah. he really didn't have a whole lot of time to get that stuff down, you know? So that's, I always thought that spoke well of Hammond. Reminds me of uh, Early Maiden in a way, you know, Clive Bird and Stratton had six weeks before doing the first Maiden record. Mm-hmm. And also, in, you know, much like Metallica there, but even more messy, there was a lot of things to, like, yeah, this guy we had for five weeks, he did this, and I wanted to, to use this and steal this. and Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Phantom of the Opera, my favorite Maiden tune, I mean, it was written with one guitarist in the band, and it wasn't even Dave. 
It was another guy. It wasn't even Murray. It was another dude. Yeah. And then a mm-hmm. keyboard player with him. Tony Moore, I yeah. think it was. Tony Moore, I think, yeah. yeah and uh, I forgot the other guy's name. And that's not my fault. That's Steve Harris's fault. No, that's not on us. I would have remembered if we just fucking credited him. Yeah. So there we go. And uh, uh, Metallica did credit David Stein, at least. They at least put his name. Well, there. I mean, that's. I think that that's... Well, that that is actually... It's funny you mention that because that is part of the... Uh, Mustaine saga with Metallica as well too, because I think they they paid him they paid his name off of Leper Messiah, you know. Yeah, like we they, we we lifted yeah. that in uh, some episode not too long ago. We lifted yeah. that, and mm-hmm. that's probably true. I guess by then they couldn't deal with it anymore. But uh, right, well, I know Mustaine. He's I mean, there's it's that's not even that's not even um, conjecture. I mean, in interviews he said you could you can listen to Leper Messiah and figure out which riffs I wrote. You know, so I mean yeah, that's not exactly. Even, yeah, he's I mean, he's come right out and said, "Yeah, I've written part of that song." So that's how it works, and it's the, it's mm-hmm. the same like with with the Maiden tie-in too. Like you hear on Soundhouse tapes that it's not only Dave Murray on it. You can hear it's mm-hmm. clearly another guitar style. There's someone there. else there. Yeah, and uh, also speaking of Hammett's lead work, I think his best stuff is on I would say Kill 'Em All and, and maybe and Justice. But you know what though? What's the weird thing about that is that I I know a lot of people, yourself included, that really, really like Hammett's lead playing on Justice. And really, that's the first record that they had where I think his lead playing is underwhelming. You know, I feel like that's he was on Kill 'em All, he kind of obviously had a template set ahead of him to to kind of like you said parrot you know and ride the lightning that's all him master that's all him and i thought he was great on those but there's a couple solos on and justice for all which i feel like is kind of like the beginning of him really emphasizing like the the pitchiness of his bends and i don't know i was never really i mean obviously he's got some great solos on that record but there's that's the first record where i remember like hearing leads and thinking Yeah, yeah, well, to be but, fair, actually, the coolest leads on it are the harmony leads, all performed by James. Well, there you go. Like that, and the killer thing at the end of "And Justice for All." Uh, 
Uh, that leads me into a disclaimer, an important disclaimer for this episode, that we're not coming in here defending one side or the other. Pretty big no. fans of these bands, right? I know it's. I know it would maybe appear, considering the um, central point of focus of our podcast and the title of our podcast, that we would maybe be airing on one side over the other. But this is really, I don't know. I don't. The, I believe I someone on Twitter had had mentioned something that the uh, this conversation, generally speaking, eventually takes on a tribal tone. With yeah, there exactly. being you know two clear sides of the conversation, and yeah, it's I'm, one picking over, and really, I I don't feel like I don't. That's fucking boring, you know. I yeah, mean, obviously, yeah. I think the world of music, speci- specifically metal, um, benefited greatly from this rift and this separation of bands and 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 people. So it's like I. I you know, I'm sure Dave and Stane might disagree, but like, you know, I think that that's one of the best things that ever happened to him. It's certainly one of the best things that ever happened to me, musically speaking. So it's like there's really no sides being taken, and I'm not really big into the whole hypotheticals of what would have happened if Dave, uh, yeah, what would have happened if Dave had stuck around, you man. You it know, didn't like, happen because it couldn't yeah, happen. Pretty it, much, it couldn't right? happen. I mean, obviously, I mean, you could always hy- hypothesize, you know, what could have happened, and I, I don't know if Mustaine would have survived that. I don't know. I mean, he couldn't. He couldn't. I mean, could, I mean, this isn't even. Again, it's not even a matter of conjecture. I mean, it's it's fact. He had trouble handling Megadeth levels of success. So, I mean, the Metallica level of success would have been. Even greater beyond that. So who knows if he would have been able to make it through all that, which luckily, you know, that's not something we have to worry about. But musically, you know, it's uh, what would have happened. I don't think that that would have. I don't know. I I just I think I think it happened, you know, like Rush. Why are we here? Because we're here. Roll the bones. I feel like it's the same thing uh with Metallica and Megadeth. Like, why did it like it happened because it was meant to happen. If you look at the personalities of the people who were involved in that equation, it was never meant to last. We, we talked about that in episode one, I think. Uh, early, yeah, very early, yeah. It wasn't meant to last. The what if is the reality that happened. That's the odd thing. What if Dave Mustaine from Megadeth was once in Metallica? What if that would be weird? Oh, that is actually the truth. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the strangest scenario is really the truth. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It shouldn't even have happened... That shouldn't even have happened. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm a big Metallica guy. When I was young, uh, I sort of chose the maiden side. You had to sh- pick sides back in the, <laughs> you know, grade school. Yeah. Uh, but, and I, but I secretly was like getting into uh, Metallica more and more on the side of that. And yeah. like, fuck, they are heavier. Fuck, I, this annoys me. Why are they heavier than my favorite band? And uh, well, you know, Metallica, they were just, you know, I, I, we've, we've had this conversation. Metallica, to me, was they won the '80s and Megadeth won the '90s. If you do have to, if you do have to, kind of analyze it from that kind of side for me of what's well, got to be one or the other. Metallica just had they just had a they were the diamond in the rough. You know, they were the the rarest of rare. They had uh, there was something about them that put them beyond everyone else. You know, so one riff that I always felt sounded a bit Dave Mustaine, even though it's a Headfield riff, is uh, the classic riff, the kind of the riff that sold Metallica to me. The... Because it has the chromaticism. Yeah. It has that line cliché, you know, James Bond. The... 
Yeah. It's in Harrods. That's, yeah, that's and right. Headfield must have been Super Dave inspired doing that riff. And that's a little bit of a hot take, if, right? I don't know if I don't know if Dave would have downpicked all of it, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's rough to do actually. <laughs> that's, that's um that's that's very tough. To, I mean, that's the thing that like uh you know, that that you could really hear the difference yeah. between up and down, alternate, and yeah. You have a riff like uh, motor breath. I mean, anyone can write that, but when Hetfield comes up with, we're like, part of that must be Dave because it's so intricate. It's yeah. the notes are close together. There's no punk rock. There's no Ramones. No Aerosmith. No, none of that. No. There's more like classical music and uh, yeah. When you say the classical music thing, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't Dave. Maybe that was a Cliff thing. Could have been a Cliff thing. That's another one uh, in Metallica that I always felt was one of the best riffs ever. Is uh, this one? Yeah. I refrain from using too much music theory. There's one thing you need to know when you listen to this show, and that's chromatic, and that just means that you play <laughs> every note. Yes. It's, it's as easy as that. You play every note. So mm-hmm. it's like. And I've seen Dave explain that spider move too. You know, when you play the... Right. Uh, of course, on Ride Lightning, he's credited as well. Yeah. And Master Puppets, that is a uh, that is credited as a, as a band composition, all four members. Cool. Yeah. That song sold me on Metallica anyway. Honestly, I think if, if I'm pressed, I think that would have... it's working again now. It's yeah. like tons of kids watching Stranger Things, and they love it, and I would have loved it. Dude, it's a I, great fucking I, song. when I saw... Because I'm not really... I'm not really into that show too much, but obviously being a metalhead, you know, and I'm I'm the token metalhead in everyone's life, you know, so it's like, yeah. Every, yeah, dude, yeah. you hear about this? Do you hear about this? So I'm like the token metal guy. So of course I inevitably checked it out. And oh, you're a good representative for it, though. You're a good representative for. Oh like, well, I tried. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. But like I like, and then of course I saw I saw that, and I was like, wow, a lot of people watch this show that either have yeah. very little to know. Very, that know very little about this kind of music or or just aren't aware of it at all and especially younger kids like of yeah. course the inevitable yeah. you know gatekeeper stuff happens and little fucking posers are getting into this shit now which is like whatever that's lame but uh, th- my whole thing is, is like some kid some 13 year old kid was watching stranger things and they heard that yep. song and they decided well i'm going to go to spotify or itunes and i'm going to check out this entire song and and they're going to get their their brains blown out the back of their head and that's awesome that's a great thing yeah um if if pressed you know for like what is my favorite like metal record of all time probably gonna take master of puppets i know i know it's really mainstreamy or whatever but yeah that 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 covers a lot of bases you know that record covers a lot of stuff it you know but you know we've uh yeah exactly but i mean uh, (laughs) i remember one one funny quote also from dave on that when they released sanct anger it's like i knew they'd run out of my riffs sooner or later that's um that's a shame also what i'm looking for here is like the effect musically on the bands and uh, that's why i brought up the master puppets riff Mm -hmm. Uh, right lighting of course is one of my favorite talica tunes yeah and it has so much dave mustaine in it like yeah, I uh, think well, that's just get it over with. <laughs> it's the beginning of the end. You can hear him, right? Right. You can hear him <laughs> even through Hetfield. Yeah. <laughs> that does. You know, I never really yeah. thought of it like that. But yeah, if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely imagine that. That's a great riff, too. The, uh... 
that's a Dave riff. That's definitely a Dave riff. Chromatic and that pause yeah. before the last the last verse, like yeah, great song. Even the um, like that riff, it's not it's there's that little slide there especially in that era of mustaine it was never really it was never really that direct there was always a little twist and a turn that made it a little bit different and and a little less obvious i guess so yeah convention like tony iomi would be but of course mustaine it's like that snakiness that slidiness yeah or yeah. Iomi could be like, uh... yeah, right, <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. You mentioned Schenker the other week. It's a little bit Schenker to have that kind of rain, yeah. that kind of yeah. more more rocking to it. I guess. Well, that's so. like a, also what I mentioned too. I mean, that he had a profound effect on those guys: Hammett, Gary Holt, Mustaine, really all those guys. Yep. You know, Schenker, uh, um, probably more Michael than Rudy. Uh, <laughs> Had a a huge influence. Rudy has no talent. That's another ugly separation. He's fucking bonkers. (laughs) He's crazy. He was on. He was on a on a podcast in Sweden, and one of the bigger ones with sort of a pop journalist. And he he asks like, "Your whole family is quite musical. Uh, Your sister apparently played uh, piano as well." And uh, his answer was, "It's nothing." (laughs) Why? Why do you have to knock down your sister's piano skills? What's wrong with you? He's a crazy person. I saw a podcast. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember if I was looking for something in regards to UFO or, or whatever, but Shanker's name came up. And the title of the podcast, all it said was, this, this is a great way to get someone to click on something. When Michael Shanker ran out of cocaine and burned his house down in 1983. Oh, yeah, I saw that <laughs> I one too. Like, That's oh, a great man, title. I got to click on that. <laughs> yeah. That is a great title. Yeah. But anyway. Speaking of cocaine abuse, Dave Mustaine. Cocaine abuse yeah. and Metallica, for that matter, <laughs> they right, did yeah. quite a bit of that. Before we forget, let's just what are the songs that we know? As far as I know, he was only not credited officially for one of them, but the other six are a matter of public record. So that was Four Horsemen. Um, and that one we don't have to discuss. Right. Go back to epi- <laughs> yeah. episode one. Yes. Uh, all the opinions right there. Yes. Uh, Absolutely. Listen to Killing Is My Business Part 2. It needs to plays. It needs some love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's coming up, though. It's coming yeah, it's, up. Yeah, it's kicking up a little bit. All right. So it's four songs on Kill Em All, two songs on Ride of the Lightning. Uh, the Four Horsemen. Jump in the Fire, of course. Jump in the Fire, of course. Absolutely. Um, Phantom Lord and... Metal Militia, I believe. Yep, yep, that's right. And then on Ride the Lightning, it's the title track and Call Cthulhu. There you go. Oh, it sounds so so haunting on the acoustic guitar. It's like different... uh something it's a cool line and then as we discussed earlier it was uh leper messiah on master puppets which i i believe he was just paid to have his name severed from that song (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) but again he is he is definitely mentioned that uh he has he has written riffs for that song for sure some of them have counterparts like uh, captive honor have the phantom lord uh 
that kind of thing, right? It's uh, super simple. Again, chromatic, you know. Yeah, that's right. That kind of came back around, and this was my life too. This was my life. Mm-hmm. Same riff. That's right. Uh, of course, uh, we, we talked. We, we mentioned um, Cthulhu, and that's the obvious one, I guess. You know, Hangar. He wrote like almost that entire song, according to Dave. Yeah, yeah. It does sound kind of peace cells, right? Oh yeah, you know, no, absolutely. Can't even deny that. You could put it right into "Wake Up Dead" in the riff yesterday. there. Down, down, da 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 da. Well, that's another one he t- he took back riffs for for Megadeth. He basically he took the uh, the kind of arpeggiated intro to that song and just played it as chords for Hangar 18. Yeah, love that. Yeah, I remember first time hearing that, and I I actually uh, immediately realized it, and I felt like, ah, cool move, and I like yeah. that he just you know, he, he's eight noting it like uh, we call that uh, the 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 emo the emo rhythm back then because it was a lot of emo bands just pumping eight notes. Right. But, yeah. Uh, but but that wasn't like a derogatory term or anything for it. It's just something that was nice, you know. Yeah. It gives the song a very it's kind of haunting vibe in in Hangar 18 that I always loved. And of, of course, course uh, Call of Cthulhu was an early favorite of mine in the Metallica camp. Mm-hmm. We pl- we played that song when we finished eighth grade. That was the, my first time on stage. Really? Uh, I played bass. Uh, I played bass, and I hadn't. I, I didn't know what I was doing. It was a complete shit show. <laughs> 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 but it was nice to get up on stage. And the guitarist was more versed, but the, me and the drummer were like. Okay, we don't know when this is gonna end. We don't know where we are. <laughs> kind of, kind of in, 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 in too deep there, you know. Yeah, and then there were some guys from ninth grade coming on after, and they when they were, when they met us like switching positions, they went yeah. on. It's like, ooh, that was that wasn't good, guys. <laughs> wow, they just came right out and said that, huh? That was a fiasco. He used the word fiasco. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty intense. That's fiasco. That's that's a that's a heavy word. <laughs> but next year, when we were ninth graders, we returned with a ten-minute Sabbath medley, and we played that better. I actually knew where I was, and there then I was on go. guitar. I was on my right instrument then on the guitar. That's cool. Also. That's cool. Yeah. Man, you know, school cabaret—that's uh, some good stuff to call it. Tool. That's like, that's like jumping right in at the deep end. Holy shit, dude! That's crazy. Yeah. And I played bass. Of course, I didn't play the lead bass. Though, right. Well, yeah. <laughs> we all thought that was guitar. Okay, so we have yeah. those six songs anyway for, for the Metallica side of things, uh, and and I mentioned Master of Puppets. I think you can feel a bit of Dave Mustaineisms in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe some subject matters uh, have you know he's he's the more kind of topical guy. I, I would say maybe out of him and Hetfield, uh, so maybe some subject matters and stuff. But um, it leads to one more question: effects on Megadeth by Metallica. I think there are some too. What do you think? Someone, I think, actually said as much on our um, Twitter post where Mustaine impacted parts of Metallica, whereas Metallica impacted everything of Dave, you know? And, and I mean, we, of course, we talked about the vengeance and all yes, that. Uh, yes, yes. But uh, I felt like maybe in detail, too, I'm sure that some stuff, I'm sure there wouldn't be any Atulemon if there wasn't a Metallica. Or maybe it would. Maybe it would. Who knows? I don't know. I, I, Scorpions have ballads. That's uh, true. Of course, you know. I think that you could argue that well it's not even really i don't even think you even have to argue it could i think that the success of metallica made mustaine try and chase after them which i think that's where he maybe started running into problems well obviously he named an album title risk 
because of something Lars said, which that's like, you shouldn't be making those decisions, you know, based on someone else's thoughts or, or feelings on the matter, especially when it comes to art or whatever. And I think that, you know, he, he was chasing that down so hard that initially he was able to be really creative with it, you know, because obviously records like Countdown, Euthanasia, Cryptic Writings are, are awesome, you know, but maybe he just kind of ran out of gas trying to chase them down, and he just... Yeah, yeah, but you, you mentioned, know. like, Megadeth 90s, way better than Metallica. Oh, and absolutely. Maybe yeah. that's because of him chasing so hard. The problem is he never really got his reward, right? Metallica totally killed Megadeth commercially in the 90s. I might have mentioned it before when he's backstage with uh, Ellison and Metallica start playing and he's being interviewed and you hear the crowd roaring and you see the guy's poor heart breaking. Like he's not even angry or anything. He's, he's fucking sad. He he's knows like that. Defeated. Oh, yeah, it's almost yeah. like uh, I mean, vulgar, vulgar connection, but it's almost like he's, someone is, you know, he's, he's hearing his girlfriend getting pleased by another man yeah that's 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 the feeling you get when you see it you know it's just like oh again like from time to time you feel a little bit you feel for the guy a little bit and then from time to time it's just like who is this asshole right did you ever see the um because megadeth finally won a grammy over here in america like uh, a few years ago yeah. yeah and um they have like the house band. Oh, yeah, they played the house band played Master. Master Puppets. I was like, holy shit! Like you gotta be kidding me! Like how is that? Like someone, someone's gotta be playing a joke. Like that. There's no way that could happen by accident, right? Like I mean, it's like probably, but it does have a Dave sound, like I just said, and I think Dave took that quite well, though. Well, it I think like, uh, I think he, and he was, said like he was that smart. was the worst version of the song I ever heard. That's right. And it was pretty yeah. shit too. <laughs> it yeah, was, it was of course, yeah. And the Grammy goes to Dystopia, Megadeth. Yeah. But like, I just remember thinking, like, man, of all the times, all the times for someone to start whipping out a, a Metallica song. It's very, very weird. Very suspicious. When you finally get your Grammy. You finally get your... Yeah, because, I mean, they had been nominated at least... I'll say at least five times prior to that. Probably more. But, yeah, they, they eventually got one. I mean, you know, whatever. That that means something to some people over here, you know, but... Wow. Fantastic. Only took 12 tries to get this. In case anyone is totally... Just, just to cover all of our bases here... Uh-huh. Dave Mustaine was in Metallica from 1981 to 1983. He got kicked kicked out in 1983, shortly before Kill 'Em All, and then formed Megadeth the very next year. And here we are. We got that over and out of the way. Now, we probably should have done that earlier, but for anyone who's, I don't know who, anyone listening to this who could possibly. Jumping in on episode 10 and like (laughs) uh, not knowing it, I don't know, man. If you don't know anything about this band, you probably should start from episode zero, I guess. Exactly. But so, just wanted to get that out of the way. We've tackled the songs, we've tackled the co-writes, we've tackled, 
you know, all the other particulars. But yes, I feel like it's time to start bringing in the listeners, you, the listeners who are contributing to this episode. And it's still you, ways. the listeners, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also, there was this blog post that annoyed me, and it annoyed you too. We both got in and <sighs> commented on it. Do we have it here? Because that was also a pretty good one for for just to you know sh- shed some light on this whole. Uh, discussion and how stupid it can get because there was a lot of factual errors in it and uh, i saved the most i don't want to use the word offensive well i said we'll say i saved the most erroneous section of that that post from whoever wrote that i'm not even really sure who wrote it but it was from a page that because of the algorithm metal blog i think yeah, yeah I, I, one, it was not something i was following but your name popped up and i saw megadeth and i went and of course yeah, i wasn't I following it either yeah. you know the <laughs> recommendation is like yeah this guy it doesn't know it it's like he doesn't yeah. know how how it works and then i clicked on it and i was like well this clearly this this cannot stand if johnny's in here saying something i gotta <laughs> i gotta at least back up a little bit i gotta back him up a little bit here We're yeah, defending yeah, yeah. our own territory but Actually, it's just defending how shit works because yeah. you can't just you know make stories up about. Yeah, how there's music things works. that are just. I'm not even. I mean, it's too long to even just read verbatim. But I was I'll, I'll bullet point some of the some of the worst parts were, you know, basically I, I think this person was coming from the perspective of a diehard Metallica fan who gets bothered that people are always shitting on them, which really, that's not a Metallica thing. That's a life thing. You know, that's a live thing, especially if you're that big. They who loom largest are the easiest to hit with rocks. It's very comfortable to kick upwards. Exactly. You're not going to be called a, a dickhead be- yes. because you're kicking upwards. You know, that's how it works. So the person was saying that like people love to dog on Metallica for the Black Album, but they give Mustaine a pass for trying to emulate Metallica with Countdown, which is like that's complete. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. no. Yes, like that is finally bringing back some extra sanity to the show. Yeah, so that's I mean that's that's right in and of itself that is that is erroneous. And then he was, uh, uh, or well, I'm, I shouldn't even say he. I mean, but um, th- whoever it is, you know, they were upset that Metallica metal fans persecute Metallica for the the Load albums and Saint Anger, but then you know they don't. Cr- criticize megadeth for like records like risk or super collider which is just they like, also do yes they also do and you could argue that megadeth never recovered i mean that was they never i think i think risk might have gone gold but mm-hmm. they haven't sold that many copies of a record ever again and granted yeah there is the internet thing kind of happened after that but even yeah. so th- that that the whole process of that affecting things or impacting things that that takes you know it took a few years for that to really get actualized because there were still bands even smaller bands that were selling a lot of records even in the internet world like i remember that band shadows fall they had a record yeah, in yeah. 2004 and they sold you know 250,000 copies physical in america really yeah. Cool. So I mean, it must have been like they they were in contact with a scene. Yeah. You know, oh yeah. Big time. Kind of that that scene. Tentacles was out, tentacles yes. out into that uh, yes. new wave of American heavy yes, metal thing. Yes. That's right? correct. Yeah. yeah. That scene was getting very very big over in America. They even time. played over here. They played over here. I don't recall with with uh, with which band, but it could have been actually Megadeth and Swordwork and and them. Might have been. Fall. Might have yeah. been. But yeah. So I mean, like, yeah. But uh, to say that people didn't shit on Megadeth for for bad megadeth yeah people shit on 
Megadeth for bad Megadeth all the time, including the time. including present company who you're listening to right now. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> both definitely both proprietors of this podcast have not hesitated to ever take a shit on anything. Um, and also un- that thing, countdown, countdown, and Black Album that has to end now. Yes, it must it must cease to exist because yes. they are not very connected. If you really want to do that, you got to look for, towards euthanasia, maybe or. Uh, or cryptic writings, but not even. They're well, not like, to be uh, fair, I mean, you know, Black Album is Doctor Feelgood. It's like Doctor Feelgood. That's yes, what it's like. Yes. Combined with with Metallica, so it's Metallica uh, in the suits of Vince Neil and Tommy Lee, pretty much. Right now, uh, which, now this, if this person's you know, point of view is well, Countdown to Extinction has distorted guitars and drums and bass. Um, and and vocals. So therefore, it's it's the black album <laughs> I guess from the early nineties. If, if that's the, they're not very much alike. They're not like, alike there's at all. not even like listen to the ballad on that album. I guess the ballad, the ballad, would be foreclosure of a dream. Yeah, that's a, a, a sort of Americana breezy sound, a bit of yeah. a countryish southern vibe. I love that track. How much like the Unforgiven or or nothing else matters is that? Pretty much nothing like it. Right. It sounds more like All My Brothers than Metallica. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't yeah. sound like Oldman Brothers, but you know what I mean. I know, what you, no, and, I, I get exactly yeah. what you're saying. No, the, and, the, and, the comparison uh, Countdown is... to Extinction, the title track, sure, it has a little bit of a grunge tint with the room, dum, 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 but there wasn't much grunge from Black Album. No. That came later in Metallica. Mm-hmm. Good luck finding that on the back album. They're not much alike. It's they're they're combined and compared and contrasted against each other. For I mean, this is not going to be a news flash for anyone. They're com- they're compared because of Dave Mustaine, <laughs> and they were records that came out that ultimately ended up being like the apex of. The particular band's popularity and it was yep. in that time period so that's really inevitably why they get pitted up against each other and that's it because musically there's it's not a hell again of aside from there being distorted a- enter guitars, sandman <laughs> uh, enter sandman boom, 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 yeah like sabbath a little bit iomi yeah and then uh skin on my teeth that's not Sabbath or no, anime at all. Not at all. That's like fucking Diamond Head or like Tigers like, of Pan yes, Fang or exactly. something. Exactly. Like, we talked about that before. It, that, yeah. There was Megadeth really had much more of that new wave of British heavy metal influence, even still on, yeah. on Countdown, more so. They, I mean, they never really, they really kind I of. I think that's that why I love this band so much. Or that's why I started loving them so early on, because of the new wave of British heavy metal thing. Mm-hmm. It's the home of metal, it's the birthplace of metal. It is, it is. Um, oh, I had a thought. Yeah, one more thing. <laughs> this guy wrote in this blog post that he he really emphasized on Mustaine only co-writing. And that's also, he doesn't understand how things work. Because listen to, I mean, wish I shat all over the mechanics. Yeah. But still, did he write only the riffs? No, he wrote the entire pattern of the vocal, the b- melody of the vocal. It's yeah. all there. Yeah. Uh, it's not co-writing. He fucking wrote it. Yes. It's just that Metallica rearranged it to something way better. But it was written by Dave Mustaine. He should be the first name of the three, really. He even wrote the the addendum, the slow part, the, the Sweet Home Alabama part. Yeah, I mean, of that, course. Even yeah. that was something yeah. Mustaine wrote. 
you know so it's like he is he is the songwriter for that song yeah he should be named number one he should be named yeah. number one on that 100 percent. it's not even it's, it's not co-written by him it's written by him lyrics rewritten yeah. to the same vocal pattern yes that's the thing a lot of blog bloggers music journalists they miss out on this they think it's you write riffs you write lyrics done no 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 there's patterns here yeah. the vocal pattern huge part of writing a song mm-hmm. is the vocal pattern yeah, like I, I would say, vocal pattern and chords—that's the traditional definition of a song written, right? The mm-hmm. rest is pretty much arrangements. And he, no, he didn't co-write those songs. He yeah. wrote those songs, yeah. and that's like something I have to say. I mean, I don't need to defend Dave. Dave doesn't need my defense, but I need to defend <laughs> what's actually going on in this fucking gambit that you're, is music. You know, <laughs> I need to actually explain to these fucking bloggers how shit works. You're defending. <laughs> Not so much mistaken as you are fact and reality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, all those like um, the the downhill spiral of rock and roll for uh, thirty years has to come to something. You yes, know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, to some realizations, and Absolutely. that's one of them. Like uh, David Mustaine is also an incredible fucking songwriter. Yeah. Full stop. If he wasn't, we wouldn't we wouldn't be doing this. So, um, well, that's it for that blog post. We can now yeah. turn to to some more informed. Uh, ears and mouths i hope our yes. listeners i have faith in you guys uh, as as last time we didn't check this out in advance i think it's more fun if me and greg experience them uh, together i mean it's it's great we we appreciate the interaction you know um it's always it, always it makes yeah. things a lot a lot more fun you know the more people are involved you know the the more things we have to talk about and and obviously we're just the uh, the minds of uh of two fans so clearly we're we're not going to uh you know, have the same exact take as everyone else um, or each other for that matter. So it's always good to have a bunch of people contribute, a bunch of chefs to uh, contribute a little bit of their recipe and for us to kind of talk about. So, yeah, um, we have a quote from someone with the name of Punt Road. Everyone discusses the music, undoubtedly, though Metallica's pushed to be the most professional heightened also, particularly for Hetfield, the importance of the frontman, audience sway, etc. Further, the James and Lars union became unbreakable. For Dave, it influences everything. So, yep, yeah, that's um, it's, the frontman. Uh, the frontmanship is that a word, Greg? Frontmanship. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, that's definitely something I would say. I don't think it's yeah, an actual word, cool. but I make up words all the time. So yeah, that's I could definitely. All <laughs> words are made up. Uh, Thomas DeVita, uh, Metal Gods podcast. But <laughs> anyway, uh, the frontmanship is very interesting to me. I've been on this before, not with you, but uh, when Metallica started out, uh, Hetfield was a very shy, pimple faced nerd, mm-hmm. and uh, Dave Mustaine was a stoner, a surfer, and a, a fuckboy or something like that. <laughs> uh, so so, so I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying either is the right way, but they are different anyway. And and and, and Hetfield didn't dare really communicating with the crowd much. Um, you right. know, he would drink and maybe yell. Right. So, so Dave Mustaine did all that. You know, Dave Mustaine took the mic and did the banter in between songs and etc. You know, mm-hmm. and I find it interesting how decades later Hetfield is one of the best guys with crowd interaction, and Mustaine is one of the worst live on stage. Yes. It's really interesting how they switch places like that. Mustaine hiding in his fringe. Yeah. And 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 and, and uh, James being super charismatic on stage. I mean, right. he's one of the most charismatic guys I've ever seen live. Mm-hmm. I was standing very close to the stage. Uh, they did that, you know, the 360 stage setup, the mm-hmm. all-round stage, and and I was very close to his mic position during Nothing Else Matters, and uh, I was pretty much wowed by his charisma in that track. Really, uh, and that's interesting how the 
pimple-faced kid can become that sort of uh, almost like a, a guru of some kind, well, you know, like emo- an emotional guru, whereas uh, Mustaine became just a dork. <laughs> I think Lars Ulrich said that Hetfield really, he never really found his feet until they got over to Europe within the first couple of years after Kill 'Em All came out and they started playing the festival circuit to, well, now they're playing to anywhere between 5 to, to 20,000 people on those festival runs. You know, I think that once he got into the in front of those large festival audiences and he realized, well, I have to make myself bigger to mm-hmm. to reach more people since we're playing these bigger places, we're playing to greater people. I think that was really the thing that really stuck with him. And if you think about it, Mustaine, yeah, I mean, he was more concerned with maybe the musicality of it because he doesn't really write a lot of music that was, well, not safe for something like Symphony of Destruction or stuff like that. But like he was, like you said, I mean, you look at him play, he's not really looking making eye contact with people. He's, he's very, there's a, usually a lot going on, you know, he, he doesn't really have the ability to interact more directly like, like Hetfield does, you know, he actually got better on the last tour now uh, to my great joy that he's actually at least looking now. Right. Crowd. It, right. it helps me a lot. It helps me a lot because I can't stand this kind of uh, shoegazing thing. Right. No, it's, I mean, it's not as engaging. It's not as engaging. And also, you know, Hetfield, his personality is a lot more welcoming, I guess we'll say, you know, it has become, right? Yeah. Because in the beginning, again, he was the, the pimple face right. nerd, and now he's some sort of emotional guru up there. Yeah. You know, like, uh, I don't know what happened, but uh, I'm, I'm glad for him. You know, it worked out great. He's not on, he's not on stage yelling at uh, Judas Priest roadies, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wouldn't expect that kind of behavior or candor from uh, one, one Jimmy Hatfield. But... Uh, of course, for the master of ceremonies, uh, Mr. Mustaine, that's just kind of par for the course, as they say. It was right at the end of this tour when he's been nice and smiling all through. Maybe yeah. he thought, like, shit, I need to be a dickhead before the tour is over. Like, you know, that's what the crowds expect. And Playing I to, to be perception. on the blo- blogs. Yeah. yeah maybe, it was a, maybe it was an act. I don't maybe. think so. It's possible, but it's also, it's also true to form. He's, there's more than enough evidence to suggest that that's just how he is as well. At least he's not screaming white power on stage. Well, you know? Yes, I mean, he, yeah, he he could do worse, absolutely. On a shitty little club stage. Yes, <laughs> white yes, power. Yes. Oh, come on, Phil. I, I love you, but what the hell, Phil? That was um, <laughs> that was ill-advised. I mean, there's really nothing else you could say other than that's ill-advised. Yep. Um, but also, we have a um, a quote from our uh, podcast brethren at End Volume for All, and he. Mm. Recently got into that show, great pod. Yeah, absolutely, and and this uh, great production. Yes, uh, a great great voice. Good mm-hmm. act. He's an actor, and you can tell a good dialect mm-hmm. too. Almost even nailed the Norwegian one, but I have to get back to him on that one. Yeah. If anyone else out there listens to the show, the comment is very very much in the general tone of of uh, those episodes. But he says Megadeth and Metallica are both great, and they both suck depending on the album and the topic being covered. It's just not a lopsided issue, and any attempts to make it one doesn't hold water with me. Right. I love them both, and just happen to prefer one. Yep. Yep. I mean, for me, I don't. I don't even prefer one. You know, I like them for quite different reasons. Issues Maiden, they are my number ones. Right. <laughs> the others, I don't. I don't care for ranking. I don't care for ordering who's better, who's worse. I would say Dave Mustaine is a better riff meister than mm-hmm. anyone except Tony Iommi. I've said before, and I stand by that incredible riff lord riff meister of the ages 
Uh, and Hetfield is up there too. Like uh, yeah. he's uh, also one of the best. But that also goes back to me thinking: I don't think Hetfield would have written all those cool riffs had he not had Dave in the band. I'm pretty sure that a lot of those riffs, Master Puppets, the, all the spidery riffs, all the spy riffs. You know, we're talking yeah, about the spy, the spy style riffs, before. That's right. Yeah. That that's so much mistaken. And I mean, I, I don't fault Hetfield for it. Rather, the opposite. I I, I actually think it's a great thing to to soak up. Yeah. qualities from pe- people you play with um dave should sleep better than he sleeps yeah, of uh, course just just knowing that i was part of that too instead of saying they would run out of my riffs eventually that's the wrong way of saying the right thing because he's coming from the right place yeah. but he's saying it the wrong way he's presenting it in the, in the wrong way that's right that's pre- yeah it's the wrong way yeah. of saying the right thing yeah okay yeah. I, I like that that's good also like uh people and this is kind of easy to forget but when metallica first started playing out and there was only one guitarist on that stage and it was just dave you know heffield was just a front man so obviously at some point he either wasn't confident enough in his abilities to do both or just wasn't confident enough in his abilities to play guitar at all so mustaine had to have had some sort of impact on him as a player since clearly at that point he was the dominant of the two so you know he definitely you know especially at that age you know you're you mm-hmm. you find at that age when you're playing that much you find new ways to level yourself up you know pretty regularly a lot of uh yeah, technical yeah. and musical growth happens in that time period especially if you're playing that much and you got nothing else to do you're playing all the time you're going to get better and you're going to get better fast and if you're playing with someone who's better than you that's going to push you to improve it's going to be even faster yep and even for songwriting, I, I've always enjoyed when, being in a band with uh, at least two songwriters because mm-hmm. it becomes a nice, friendly competition. Uh, you know, the other guitarist sends me an MP3 uh, demo he made. It's like, fuck, this is pretty cool. I want to, yeah. you know, I want to do this, but mm-hmm. my way or my style or maybe even maybe even build upon it. You know, that's it's great. It's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing, Greg. Oh, I agree. I, I, I prefer to have a couple different writers as well just because, like, it does... As long as you're all on the same stylistic page, whatever that may be, yeah, it never it's it only helps to uh, diversify your attack, you know. Yeah, and it can even be done. I wouldn't say after the fact, but kind of after the fact, meaning that you could write a song that is not on the same page musically that could later be rearranged to yeah. be. Yeah, exactly. So it's a free world. Yeah, actually, I found a few more quotes here. I wanted to mm-hmm. uh, reference here. Yeah, from, from the listeners. Uh, this was on Twitter. It's from Ralph M. Severo. Um, I guess I'll, I'll reference what the initial quote was. The initial post we had was, uh, mm-hmm. quote, Dave's influence on Metallica and vice versa episode. It's unavoidable, uh, but we want to unavoid it with you. Uh, send your takes here. Um, comment here. Send it. You're getting our direct messages, blah, 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 blah. And this was uh, this was submitted by Ralph M. Severo. Um he says, well, his, being Dave, his influence on Metallica is probably overinflated by Dave and underinflated by James and Lars, etc. Um, I think it's safe to say that Puppets Metallica had fully moved on and never really looked back. And as for Dave, I think he's constantly comparing and contrasting himself with his old mates, which has led to both the positive and the negative. It's driven him to form a hugely successful um, and well-respected band. However, I think it's also fueled his self-doubt, and that self-doubt, I'm sure, helped fuel his addictions that he's battled for many years. You know, well so that's put. that's uh, and that's that was what I said. And that's uh, that's pretty well put. You know, but he did also mention, uh, you know, 
<laughs> driven him to form a hugely successful band. I mean, he sold like 40 million records of that successful band. So again, I don't think that there's a, a story um, in rock and roll history that's that's like one of Dave Mustaine's where someone could bounce back like that. I'm mean, not that I could think of off the top of my head, you know. My name is Peter, and I have been asked by my good and longtime friend and colleague Yunis what I believe Dave Mustaine did for Metallica. And the short and sweet answer is a lot. And uh, I will try to put some nuances to this. 96 Metallica released Load, and I thought it was an awesome record. So it's a record that's still close to my heart. Then I traveled. Further down the rabbit hole that is Metallica, so I started to listen from the first album, Kill 'Em All. And this without me knowing exactly what Dave had done on that record, at least. First demo, uh, No Life Till Leather. That sounds quite a lot like Dave Mustaine, so he's quite formative for the whole thrash metal genre. Without him, I don't know how if Metallica would have progressed further into thrash metal for as long as they did before switching up their style and dwelling into new territories. Damien brought Metallica the edge of the thrashiness, the tempo, the aggressiveness, and actually almost an occult feeling about some songs. I mean, Phantom Lord, that's quite the evil piece. It's almost like early black metal-ish in my ears. And it's called the Phantom Lord, so apparently it's a demon, so it doesn't become much much darker than that, I believe. Jump in the Fire, I mean, that's just a drive, pure, purely blues-based, more or less. It also displays Dave's approach to writing heavy metal. It's, it's from an older era of rock, but also the pro- progressive thinking in his artistic mind to do something really evil and of course brought in a lot of heaviness in the genre and also in the long run heaviness for Metallica. In the early days I believe Metallica would have maybe could have sounded another way if Dave wasn't present. But what did Metallica do for Dave Mustaine? Uh, I mean without Metallica's greatness induced (laughs) by really working hard and being very ambitious and always having the eyes on the prize, Dave, I mean Megadeth, surely got a lot of free publicity in direct or indirect association with have being a part of Metallica. This is pr- probably why the rivalry is one of the <laughs> grittiest rivalries in heavy metal. Dave had a greater impact for Metallica than Metallica had for Dave Mustaine. I mean, Metallica hasn't written any riffs in Megadeth. 
So Metallica had the better of it, I believe. So that's the short version, and I would like to thank Jonis for asking me to rant about this topic. Hopefully I will be back with Jonis and with Greg. Of course I would love to. Have a great day people, and take care. Peter, that is an excellent take on things. Um, Thanks for sending that in. One thing that uh, I've noticed is that when a lot of people talk about um, the Dave versus Metallica thing, it seems like the generality, easy for me to say, generally speaking, there seems to be a few schools of thought, and one of which is Mustaine. You know, he was only in the band for two years ish at best. And, you know, didn't, while he was pivotal in the early years, it didn't really contribute to the grand scheme of things. I know that's kind of the spin Lars put on stuff when the question came up during the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, induction about why Mustaine wasn't being included. Um, so, I mean, and that's kind of always been their MO to. To, to be respectful and acknowledge his uh, uh, contributions, but to also minimize it as, as much as possible. And I can't say I blame him. You know, they've, they've always been um, looking forward, moving forward. You know, that, that's always kind of been their thing. And, and especially they're, they're, they're not really looking to, you know, toss credit to someone else who's always talking shit about them and basically started a band to uh to be the ultimate thorn in the side. So, I mean, I can't say I blame him for wanting to minimize his uh, or diminish his, his impact. Um but again, I mean, it's it's really tough to diminish impact. I mean, it's like saying, well, you know, you can build a house on you know, sand or you can build it on a foundation, you know, without a foundation, it's really tough to kind of build anything else on top of it. And the stains there. So, um but also um to kind of get back on track here, another side of the uh, argument or, or take I hear from people is, is not only is Mustaine pivotal, and this is kind of you know what, what Peter alluded to here, not only is Mustaine pivotal to the um, you know, the story of Metallica, but he, you know, because he's pivotal to the story of Metallica, he's wildly pivotal to the creation an evolution of the thrash metal genre period. You know, I, I believe even uh, Scott Ian of Anthrax at, at one point, you know, said something as similar saying, you know, without Mustaine, you know, maybe thrash metal, you know, in its nascent stages, you know, by way of Metallica doesn't really have that sound, you know, per se. And maybe that changes things. Who knows? But um, yeah, that's, um, that that's all great stuff and um yeah love to have love to have more give us the fucking long version next time dude yeah don't don't be short with us we uh we run our mouse enough so uh send us everything you got that's no wheat snack hey everyone this is brandon the host of metallicast 
the Metallica podcast. Huge thank you to so far, so pod, so what? To let me share my thoughts on the Mustaine years of Metallica. Metallica is my all-time favorite band, but Megadeth is right up there for me. And it is impossible to talk about one without ever talking about the other. Needless to say, I've done a lot of Mustaine and Megadeth talk on Metallica. I've never done a full episode, not yet anyways. Um, but a lot of talk nonetheless. Riddled with, uh, well, a lot of jokes. Mainly at Mustaine's expense and uh, a lot of impressions. But um, all joking aside, I am a huge Megadeth fan. And I have nothing but respect for Dave Mustaine as a musician, including his contributions to Metallica. You know, when you look at the early days of the band, James Hetfield did not yet come into his own as a front man. And most of the stage banter was handled by Mustaine. And of course, not to mention his songwriting contributions. When people talk about how Metallica changed metal music forever with their new sounds, new attitude, new everything... Mustaine definitely deserves to be given credit for his role in all of that. Without Hetfield, Ulrich, Burden, and Mustaine all playing their respective parts in those early years, Metallica would maybe not exist today. Likewise, though, without that long Greyhound bus trip back home, Megadeth would not exist And not just because of the fact that he was fired from Metallica and he was forced to move on to another project, but I think how he was fired just pissed him off so much that he was a man on a mission. And I think that anger helped fuel the musical direction of Megadeth into something that was faster and most of the time more technical than Metallica. Now, I'm going to say something that might piss off a lot of Megadeth fans listening to this podcast, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. You know, I think Metallica has largely dictated the musical direction of Megadeth throughout a large part of their career. Now, I'm going to kind of go through a little list here, and I fully acknowledge that some of these are coincidences, but interesting nonetheless and i do not think they are all coincidences uh first and foremost both have debut albums whose titles are about killing kill them all and killing's my business and business is good respectfully in 1988 metallica went progressive or at least more progressive on the injustice for all album and what was the next made death album after that rust in peace their most progressive album to date the Black Album comes out in 91. Megadeth answers that with Countdown to Extinction in 92. Both have more polish, more streamlined songs, a little bit more radio-friendly. The Megadeth song Go to Hell strangely references the same Now I Let Me Down to Sleep prayer as Inter Sandman does. In the mid to late 90s, Metallica began to experiment, load, reload, come out in 96, 97. Risk comes out in 99 which was actually named uh, Risk because Lars Ulrich said in an interview, when asked about Megadeth, something along the lines of wishing Mustaine would take more risk in his music. And then in the 2000s, 
both bands mostly returned to their roots. Uh, when you look at Megadeth, though, a couple interesting tracks like Win, which is a combo of Am I Evil, a Diamond Head song made famous by Metallica, and The Call of Cthulhu, a Metallica classic instrumental. In fairness, though, that song is co-written by Mustaine. And then there's the song Something I'm Not, which is not, you know, influenced by anything in particular musically, to my knowledge, but lyrically is strongly rumored to be about Mr. Ulrich. And it was written as a response to how he, how Mustaine felt he was uh, portrayed in the Some Kind of Monster documentary. Um, meanwhile, though, I got to say, Metallica never really looked back. They always kept looking forward really without any regard as to what Megadeth and other bands from that era were doing. And like I said, is some of this stuff coincidence? Sure. Is all of it, though? I doubt it. But, you know, and maybe that, like I said, will piss some people off. So be it. Um, you can find me at Metallica Spot on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to bitch to me. But, um, you know, in all seriousness, when all is said and done, we have two amazing bands that would not exist if Mustaine... Uh, I think without Dave Mustaine in the world, you know, and I think if he stayed in Metallica, they would have imploded eventually. People always say, oh, imagine this Megadeth song with, you know, James Hetfield playing rhythm and singing. It's like, no, that would have never happened. Too much ego. That band would have imploded eventually. And I think, you know, if it imploded another year, two, three, four years down the road, Perhaps the same piss and vinegar would not have, you know, been there for Mustaine to follow up with May Death. Maybe the timing would not work out where he does not meet David Ellison. You know, all these things have to line up in the timeline in order for us to get these two bands. And, you know, I just think one cannot exist without the other. And at the end of the day, we have two amazing classic metal bands. I'm editing myself a lot here because I do not want to take up too much time. I appreciate the guys for giving me this time and uh, consider this an open invitation to come on Metallicast and continue this conversation. Later, guys. Brandon, thank you very much for uh, your contribution uh, to uh, to the proceedings. Um, obviously, there's really uh, not much to critique there. A lot of great points. Um. You know, I do think that there is an element of uh, design um, and there's an element of happenstance, too, like you had said. Uh, but again, um, like you, I, I, I don't believe all things are uh, coincidental. I wouldn't say so much, me personally, that Metallica dictated so much Mustaine or, or Megadeth's uh, trajectory, but I definitely think that they might have uh, influenced it for sure. Um like you kind of touched on, um, you know, he kind of uh, pushed Mustaine initially after the the split, you know, to be more intense, to be more technical, to be faster, to be more off kilter. Um, and then, you know, which I, I think is, you know, a, a, a reasonably, um, I guess that's a re- more reasonable goal than what I think, would have come next would have been well then once he proved he was maybe a little faster a little more technical you know he wanted to be as big as them and i think maybe that's where 
you start to maybe lose the plot of, of things because then, you know, you can control, you know, how aggressive you are and how fast you are and how technical you are. You can't control the interests and the minds of millions of other people. Um, that was, you could argue that maybe that's where Mustaine got it wrong, although it's it's hard to also say that he got it wrong considering the success that, that followed Megadeth um, into the 90s, well into the 90s. I mean, they had a string of platinum records uh, four in a row from 90 to 97. And arguably, um, I feel like they put out better records in the 90s than Metallica did. But ultimately, I think chasing Metallica, you know, as far as uh, popularity and uh, mass appeal is concerned, is just, uh, that's a no-win situation. There's no way he was going to win that. But again, I do think that there is an element of, uh, again, if not dictation, um, guidance um, or inspiration as far as uh, what Megadeth was uh, was going to do and Mustaine specifically um, like you said I don't think that the band would have lasted terribly long with that lineup had he even made it to a record with the band Mustaine that is but um, yeah the rest were just going to kind of tread into uh, speculative and hypotheticals and ain't no time for that but um, yeah as far as a uh, follow up invite to uh, Metallicast be happy to oblige you on that sir thank you very much again Rock and Roll Autopsy podcast. Scott Rutan is his name. Okay. Same surname as, as the great Eric Rutan. Oh, that's right. In Swedish, that means the box, Rutan. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't have the same flair to it. Can't imagine opening yeah. a Cannibal Corpse record and seeing on the guitars Eric the Box. Eric the Box, yeah. <laughs> they used to call TV that too, Rutan. The Box? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Uh, this is what he wrote. Gentlemen, I apologize for the lack of brevity. Use as much or as little as you like. So maybe it's long. Let's see. Yeah, let's find out. This is Scott from the Rock and Roll Autopsy podcast. Uh, Dave's influence on Metallica and vice versa. Um, you're right. This has been talked to death over the last 40 years, but I'm going to try to frame it in a little bit of a different way. Um, I would propose that Dave didn't have much of an influence musically at all Boom. on Metallica. <laughs> oh, I don't know, sir. I don't know, sir. In spite of penning several songs in the early uh, days of the band. Um, I would argue that his influence was more from an attitude perspective. Uh, Lars, however, had a tremendous influence on Dave, in terms of introducing him to the new wave of British heavy metal bands like Diamond Head and Angel Witch. Um, Dave, however, gave Metallica personality in the early days. Dave gave a sense of danger to the band, an unpredictable element uh, that was necessary in this new kind of outsider against the grain music that was early thrash. Dave had tremendous stage presence back then. Um, 
Dave looked cool. <laughs> Dave had a really cool look going back then, whereas James Hetfield um, kind of looked, uh, you know, like a teenage kid with a lot of acne, yeah. you know? Like I said, pimple face and surfer dude. Dave today doesn't have tremendous stage presence. He kind of stands there like a statue on stage. It's kind of, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, touch on that, yeah. you know, what one would expect from a 60-year-old dude with a lifetime of drug abuse behind him. However, James today has tremendous uh, stage oh, presence go, and charisma. But that wasn't the case in 1983. Dave had charisma to spare. And all you have to do is pull up YouTube and watch... You know, the Metallica 83 show in San Francisco. You can see it. It's there. Um, watch the So Far, So Good, So What show from uh, Essen, Germany. Um, Dave just has tremendous stage presence and charisma. And that's the Dave that Metallica lost when they fired him. Um, not today's Dave Mustaine. Um, I would argue that Dave's influence on Metallica was more what not to do in a lot of ways. You never see James Hetfield berating a sound guy <laughs> or calling out wow. somebody in the <laughs> audience wild. Or getting <laughs> into a fight with someone in the crowd. You never yeah. see him yelling at a security guy. I think we've seen James once or twice throw a guitar if he gets pissed, but... For the most part, you know, you want to give Dave a cookie if he gets through a show without putting his foot in his mouth. And that's kind of been who he is his entire career, you know. Um, musically, I think Megadeth is wildly different than all the other big four bands and even all of the thrash bands. Um, Metallica's riffs are meat and potatoes. They are chugging on that low E string and putting a power chord stab at the end, mm -hmm. right? Um, Dave just has a real sideways kind of angular way of looking at rhythm guitar. His riffs are mm -hmm. super noty. They're super complicated. Um, there's a lot of chromatic stuff <laughs> happening. He puts accents on mm -hmm. the upstroke. Oh, you know, yeah. um, Dave just is a more interesting and challenging writer when it comes to riffs. Um, so. Dave's style is just more interesting, and Dave could swing, and Megadeth could mm -hmm. swing, and I don't hear that in Metallica. When you listen, all you have to do is listen to um, the beginning of these boots, right? You hear a swing happening there. It's evident they have two guys with a jazz background <laughs> in Chris Poland and Gar Samuelson. Listen to Bad Omen. It swings. Um, Metallica can't do that. They kind of still can't do that. Just listen to Load and listen to the stiff as a board blues that is poor twisted me. I mean, Metallica just doesn't have that as much as they try. Um, there's nothing like looking down the cross on kill em all. Um, it's listen to the verse riff in that. It's just not there on kill em all. It's not, yeah, this there guy's touched like every Metallica. part of our podcast so um, far. <laughs> listen to black Friday. Yeah, great. It's not there. So musically, I don't know that Dave, what Dave does shows up in Metallica necessarily. I don't know that there's much of an influence there. You hear it in the metal militia verse, the noty verse. You certainly hear it in the pentatonic runs on Jump in the Fire. But for the most part, I don't know that Dave influenced Metallica musically um, and lyrically even. I mean, when James stopped writing about heavy metal and hit the lights and whiplash and started writing about 
other subjects. They were just kind of pulled from the headlines on CNN. Whereas Dave wrote about, you know, just more interesting things to me. Dave wrote about girlfriends, like right off the bat, you know, <laughs> in Last Rites and in Wake Up Dead. Yeah. I don't think Metallica <laughs> even like acknowledged it that there was an opposite sex until what, like 97 with Unforgiven <laughs> 2, you know, maybe nothing else matters. Um, right. Dave wrote about the occult. He wrote about politics. He wrote about girls. His lyrics were just kind of dark and sinister. And that was kind of part of what made him cool. You know, Dave was basically a punk. And, you know, even if you look at, uh, you know, their most controversial releases for the two bands, if you look at Risk and Load, Risk to me has elements of, you know, Crowded House or The Beatles. And Load sounds like Leonard Skinnerd, <laughs> And I think that's kind of the difference between the two bands and how maybe there isn't really a musical influence or footprint from Dave Mustaine in Metallica. Thanks, guys. Bye. So first off, thanks a lot to uh, uh, Mr. Scott Rutan here. Great input and uh, definitely going to use that in its entirety. There was no flab in that. Uh, and uh, I would say, I mean, I previously explained why I think he had a lot of influence on riffs and uh, even riffs like Master Puppets, so I don't really agree with that point, but all the, in all the details, uh, I completely agree. Uh, touched on a lot of interesting stuff there about the attitude and things we've said before, just like yeah. last time, it echoes, mm -hmm. and that's why I'm also uh, pro the idea of listening to these just while recording and not before, because oh, yeah. then all these all these things will be real, right? It's not going to mm -hmm. be a cross-interference in, uh, there. I agree. And, um, of course, I'm curious on your opinions on his input, so I'm not going to linger too long, but I would say... Um, good and interesting input and uh, while i think dave still had a lot of influence on the music of metallica uh, all these points especially the details were very much on the money i think a lot of the um i mean clearly as far as actual songs and actual riffs are concerned it's one of those things where it's like um there's there's a tangible influence and there's an intangible influence the the actual physical contributions he made musically to the band, they ended in 1986, you know, with Leper Messiah. But the thing is with that, it's like, does the mentality carry on, you know? So the influence can exist beyond what you actually created with your hands. And it could have transferred over as like a, as a mentality. But you know, and then and that's kind of, you know, again, I used I already used the word conjecture like twice earlier, so I guess it's going to be three times. It's all just not a bad word. Yeah, it's it's conjectural, you know. So I I I think Mustaine's influence is there to a degree, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, there's really not much to uh, disagree with. I mean, that was that was well well thought well spoken and again it, it's yeah, almost well like well put i mean it, uh, touched on a lot of things that we've discussed as well prior to this episode so clearly mm -hmm. you know on a, on a majority a vast majority of what you're saying we're we're of like mind so it's um i mean fuck even the even analyze risk to to, to bring up like crowded house influences and and beatles yep. influences so i mean kudos to you man <laughs> that was awesome thanks for thanks for sending it in and we appreciate that it was excellent 
I will check out Rock and Roll Autopsy podcast for yes. sure. Yes. Good voice too. So, yeah. you know, it's promising. Yeah. Uh, we have another voice entry, right? Uh, the voicemail thing. And that should be about it, I think. I think that's it. That's it. Yeah. Because we agreed before, we don't want to do this episode for too long because right. it could be a, it can be a black hole, and I think it would benefit from 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 staying a little bit. Uh, I don't know, uh, not on your toes precisely, but uh, I guess uh, staying out of the slipping into a coma. Of yeah, already just, already said things and regurgitating, you know. I mean, like you said, it's been a conversation that's existed through our entire lives. You know, it's it's really not. Yep. There's not a whole lot of ground left to cover. And you could argue that there's no ground. There's no unexplored ground left to cover, you know, so. But it's a myth, you know, and the myths myths and legends keep developing some way. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Actually, we got an email, too, from Justin Rose. Did you okay. see that? I didn't see that. So he says, hey, guys, just a few points from me uh, per the discussion. How much influence has Metallica had in Megadeth or directly on dm i think by sacking him they pushed him to break boundaries and create more intensity spurred by jealousy and rage we talked about that uh, check our first episode out yeah did they actually achieve it commercially no <laughs> but musically for me megadeth has the better body of work and uh, over a longer time uh, and they are the benchmark for technical thrash. So that's some big words there from Mr. Justin Rose. Yeah. Uh, when you look back on Dave, Dave's life, he had such a tough time as a child. And then to have Metallica taken from him and come back in the way uh, he has is truly a remarkable story. Have Metallica ever been influenced by Megadeth? I would say not. So he's on, uh, he's on uh, Mr. Rutan's side here. Mm-hmm. And then he, he comes in with some bullet points here, some food for thought. First one. Kill em all credits Dave in four songs. Yet clearly, songs that were being played on No Life to Leather with guitar solos and riffs uh, that definitely sound like his. And he didn't receive credit for them. I wonder why that is. Seek and Destroy is one that comes to mind. Most of the songs on No Life to Leather were written by Dave the clear exception being Hit the Lights. Okay, interesting, yeah. The remainder of the Kill em All songs were surely written before they recorded, uh, which was about one month after he was fired. Anything on that? I mean... It's tough to say. I mean, I don't want to say that just because he was the lead guitarist that he wrote more. Then, yeah, and then I mean, speaking did. of how how music works, if you add a lead, uh, you don't. You, it's not really. Uh, yeah, it, does, it doesn't warrant credits for. Yeah, composing. that's that's generally correct. that's correct. Generally. So generally, I mean, it's you know, that's just like uh, Friedman. Are, Friedman doesn't have any writing credits on Rust in Peace. That's right? correct. That is correct. Mm-hmm. I I guess at this point, you know, all you could do is is rely on the, the credits and, and hope that they were being forthright or, or earnest as far as who wrote what. And, um, you know, I'll just have to kind of go with that for now. I mean, it's possible Dave maybe contributed more, but I, they were already giving him credit for, for stuff on almost half the record, so I don't know why they would, you know, kind of uh, take that from him, you know, mm-hmm. anything else. So, I mean, again, it's that, that could very well be true, but, I mean, I, I just have to... 
for the sake of sanity, I'm just going to adhere to what the, uh, the liner notes say as of now. <laughs> All right. Next point is Ride the Lightning, my favorite Metallica record, still has a couple of songs composed by Dave. And they were both very popular songs, the title track and Cthulhu. Mm -hmm. I think this was getting embarrassing for Metallica at this point. There are rumors that uh, prior to Master Puppets, they paid him a lump sum uh, to use some of his riffs and to silence him. Leper Messiah sounds like a Mustaine riff. So yeah, we brought that up before. Yeah, yeah. And then a, a fun question at the end. Can you actually silence Dave? <laughs> <laughs> well, right. I don't... Well. I don't think you actually can. I mean, I don't know if there was any sort of non-disclosure agreement as part of that part of that lump sum for anything he contributed, you know, on Master like Leper Messiah. But you know, if there was, he, he certainly broke it. You know, <laughs> he's yeah, definitely right. in interviews said, "Yeah, I've written part of that song." Next point is um, seeing as Dave was getting royalties from a few of those songs. Why did he feel he needed to record them in his style? hangar mechanics uh etc maybe that's a great question even using ride the lightning spider cord in wake up dead yeah hmm. that's actually that's a really good point my guess would be that he he just you know kept doing music and of course it's gonna involve some of his ideas and yeah. he's not gonna be shy to use them that's probably that would be my guess you know? i would say just maybe even you know it could be not for the money, not for the fame. It's just <laughs> how he writes, you know. Not for the power. <laughs> it could be. It could be as something as simple as just ownership and and pride in in composition and wanting to retain, you know, a piece of himself, you know, for for something that that he was doing. Um, there's also the other element of just trying to be catty and, and trying to stick it up their ass, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, but, but I think it's not too catty. I think it's actually a practice matter, you know? He practices yeah. music the way he practices music. That includes yeah. those those moves. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of more points here from Justin uh, Rose. It's, um, for whom the bell tolls, in my darkest hour, is in my darkest hour a copy of this? Well, they have that kind of same triplet type rhythm uh, and a sort of similar tempo. The chromatic bass part in uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls uh, featured heavily in My Darkest Hour, um, but on the sixth string. Many similarities in these, these two songs. I never thought of that, actually. I'm, I'm not too into in, in My Darkest Hour. We will get to that. I think mm -hmm. For Whom the Bell Tolls is a much stronger song, in my opinion. Um, huh. Well... I will say that in my darkest hour is definitely a little bit more involved of a tune. You know, it, it definitely That's true. it definitely steps out of that kind of marching lockstep tempo um, at some point, which that is that is a, a a reasonable comparison. You know, they they do kind of have that similar kind of march So that is yeah. there, but it, you know, I think that you know that. In my darkest hour, definitely goes beyond that, you know, and it has different twists and turns. I I think both are great songs. I, I think so too. Uh, we will get into my darkest yeah. hour. My problem with it is, I think it's a little bit uh, beneath uh, Megadeth's level of rhythm. I just th I just think that uh, uh, they had much cooler songs, and I don't know why that one became a, a classic, really, to me. But we'll get back to that for sure. Yeah. That's not the topic of today. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, uh, two more points. No Life to Leather, undeniably, uh, Dave Mustaine's impact 
on Metallica from a musical perspective. His playing is incredible for its time. His guitar playing is so good. It actually makes Lars' drumming sound better. <laughs> I love Lars, but he's not a great drummer. He's, he's, he's more of a... Um, he's a vibe guy. He's a vibe he's player. He's a vibe guy. Yeah, he's, he's a vibe, a vibe player. Guy. He's not so much... For better a, or worse. For better or worse. Yeah. That's what he is. Yeah. Or, or even... You know, he's, not, he's not a percussionist. He's just a drummer. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I love, uh, I love uh, No Life to Leather, by the way. I think it's a really cool release. Oh, I think it's... Man... Uh, that's well this this is relative but dave is allegedly the uh the one holding up the um huge reissue ah. campaign of of the no life to leather um apparently Metall- Caddy. that's yeah Caddy. no it's 100 percent. apparently metallica had a whole because you know they did that with kill em all they've done it with the other records at this point mm-hmm. you know the, the huge reissue campaign they were going to do that for no life to leather and they have other demos that were never released, uh, live, live tapes, live recordings from the mm-hmm. clubs, all from the Dave era, and apparently there's a an issue over over publishing on one of the songs. Where according to Dave, Lars is trying to get publishing on a song that Mustaine allegedly wrote prior to being in Metallica. Sounds and, like Lars. And it also sounds like Dave. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, and... Uh, and I mean, and, every single Metallica track has a Ulrich credit. Yeah. Sometimes, probably, just because. In Dave's defense, I mean, if, if that is the reality of it, and he wrote the entirety of the song before it comes in, I mean, it's one of those things where he could either just fall on his sword and just deal with it because it's going to only perpetuate his legacy and his importance to the history of the band by this release to go out but if it's a but also if that doesn't maybe that matters less to him than we think it does because he's obviously the the hurdle and or the brick wall that's preventing this from going out if he only cared about his legacy and his importance to the history of the band then you would think he would just say okay whatever we'll do whatever it takes to get this out but mm-hmm. if he's going to be a stickler and say, no, fuck you, dude, you didn't write any of this. Like <laughs> I wrote all of and this. He, he is going to be a stickler. Yeah. So I guess I, I, I respect that. But in the same respect, too, it's almost like I feel like that. I don't know. From a fan, I really want that to come out. Fans perspective, I really want that. You know, I think everyone does. But, you know, it's definitely uh, definitely reasonable, you know. Mm-hmm. Last point from from the email. Oh, I see some blonde hair in the yeah, corner. That's right. You got a blonde kid. Yeah, I got I got three of them. Swedish, Swedish yeah, looking. That's right, for sure. Way yeah. more than you. Yeah, oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Two meatballs. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's a cute kid. Uh, okay, uh, here we go. Last point in in Justin Rose's email. Okay. Finally and controversially. Okay, here we go. Brace yourself. Master of Puppets has always sounded like a warm-up riff that was developed into a song. A great song. I wonder if it was a DM warm-up riff. Okay, there we go. I mentioned Master. Wow. You guys are on fire today. You guys are... You guys yeah, are I think it has, a, it has a ton of, of Mustainisms, and it's Metallica's uh, best song. Like, it's Master of Puppets. Nothing beats it. It's... Uh, it's like uh, the best metal song ever written in many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing track. And uh, I will say that James uh, kind of 
proved he could do it too with one, but uh, Master Puppets, uh, Dave has part in it. I, I would just go out and say that. It's, I mean, it's it's tough to argue. I mean, it's arguable, but it's tough to argue. You know, I yep. I, I, yes. I think that I think that obviously even by '86, Metallica had had grown so exponentially. You know, just in a, in a in a span of you know two or three years. You know, so I I think that there is merit to saying that as far as musically speaking, his actual contributions, they're obviously on the tail end of Mustaine's creativity. And I think that they had filtered a lot of the stuff that they wanted from him clearly, but you could argue just as easily that while his actual contributions, they're, they're kind of beyond at that point and they have their own voice and their own identity, specifically as writers, um, that the mentality that, that could be a part of them still to this day, you know? So yeah. it's, it's like a very much, it's, it's all speculative. Fuck. That was the word I was looking for before. Speculative. <laughs> speculative. <laughs> but yes, go. it's all speculative, but it's, it's, it's arguable to prove for either, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a good, it's a great point to make. Thanks yeah. to Justin. Glad to have you as a listener. Yeah. We've got good listeners. Uh, love that. You know, as you said way back in our introductory episode, uh, otherwise we could just hang out and not record it, right? Yeah, absolutely. You guys are a huge part of it. And if anything, this has been, this has been great because like, it's really shown that there, it, this, all this is well-worn territory, that there are interesting ways of still approaching it and looking at it that i never really considered before so i mean this was uh i guess there is a reason why people are still talking about this because it's maybe there's definitely maybe more shades of gray than i never really anticipated that being said i don't anticipating there be a, a dave talca part two episode from us so no 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 i mean but, but look it's interesting it is interesting yeah uh, worn out path for sure, but it is interesting. And the last entry then will be from uh, Mr. Aaron Atkins. Yes. What's up, state of the art transatlantic speed metal podcasters? <laughs> this is Man Shovel hailing from the rusted out wasteland of upstate New York. <laughs> like this guy. <laughs> to answer your query regarding Dave Mustaine's influence on Metallica, let's start with the proverbial elephant in the room, and that is Kill 'em All. In addition to Hammett basically transcribing and playing Dave's leads, Mustaine's signature minor pentatonic riffs are all over that record. Yeah, dude. It's clear that he didn't get as much writing credit as he probably deserves. That being said, we know for sure that it had a profound influence on Mustaine's quest to one-up his former bandmates over the span of Megadeth's career. Anyway, thanks for the fun content, and I'm looking forward to the discussion on Rust and Peace and Countdown. Man, shovel out. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have a beer with this guy at some point. Uh, I've, I've had several beers with this guy. <laughs> right I've, I've i've known uh i've known him for a very long time he's a good friend and uh yeah so that's but that's that's definitely him <laughs> I, li I like the tempo i like the energy yes you know? that's uh yeah that's uh that that's aaron right there for sure so that's aaron but what did he actually say yeah he, he said kill him all right and uh the, yeah. the, the heavy the heavy dave flavor on it and yeah the, absolutely. everyone knows everyone knows it but it needs to be emphasized for yes, sure uh, absolutely big part of it absolutely yeah. and i would argue all the way up until master puppets there's a lot of dave in there absolutely 
What's your favorite Metallica record, by the way? My favorite Metallica record is Master of Puppets. Mm, uh, that's a good one. This is probably the best record. Uh, I, I'm a Ride Lightning guy, but mm-hmm. it's just because it's more, even more heavy metal, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Master of Puppets is the best, I think. Yeah. Also, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to uh, Mr. Manshovel, Aaron. Uh, check out, he's got, a, <laughs> yeah. he's got an awesome band out there. Who okay, wants to cool. check out, like, uh, I don't even know. It's like kind of power violence um thrashy kind of death metal kind of stuff called ground sweat um from the syracuse new york area is he the guitarist yes he's the guitarist that's correct his 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 wife is the singer if he riffs with that same energy as he talks it's gonna be good he does and his last band they used to do a cover of wolverine blues oh good choice good choice that's a scandinavian treasure for sure just a little bit absolutely did you ever see the picture of Ingve holding a copy of it and uh, putting two fingers in his mouth like he was blowing his brains out? <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't, but uh, it's a very fun thing to hear. Either blowing his brains out or trying to make himself puke or something. I don't really The sure. least Ingve sounding record yeah. in the world could be Wolverine <laughs> Blues. Yes. <laughs> totally, totally different vibes. I believe he's actually, Ingve has one of his ruffled fancy shirts on when he's doing it too and this is donut ah. era ingve so he's a little bit heftier as well so it's there's a lot of comedy <laughs> going on here but anyway i digress aaron thank you very much for the uh contributions bud excellent thank you aaron and thanks to everyone that got involved all new people from last time too yeah that's cool so Absolutely. we don't have, only have the same voices echoing yeah although that said uh, everyone that has been on should be on again yes Greg, I think we should wreck, uh, wreck. We shouldn't wreck this up. We should wrap. <laughs> I think we should wrap this one up. Yes. Yeah, so there it is. Uh, Dave Mustaine and Metallica. Don't anticipate a part two. We needed to get this out of the way. This is obligatory. This is a contractual obligation. You know? mm-hmm. We really wouldn't be a, me- a true Megadeth podcast if we didn't touch on this. I, I just wanted to touch on the awesome riffage, you know, right? Lightning. Yeah. Has to be has to be Great mentioned. It's some of the best stuff out. There. I found out in a, in a Mustaine interview, he actually said that uh, the intro to "Ride the Lightning," the oh yeah, that's really cool. Too. So electrified. It was written by Lars. Hmm. I don't think Dave would throw out false credits to Mister Ulrich. I don't think he's looking to give credit to anyone unless it's absolutely necessary or truth. You know, <laughs> like you said before, he's a pretty good uh, truth teller and he's yeah. a terrible liar. Yes. Yes, that's true. 100%. So, what should we say now? Thanks for listening again. Think about our last words. Might be what we just said. And uh, stay tuned.